0: The idea of this episode came to me a few weeks ago. I'd just come back to my hometown amid concerns that the coronavirus wasn't going to disappear anytime soon. My first morning back home, I decided to wake up earlier than I normally do to give my parents the impression that I was a responsible adult. With heavy bags under my eyes, I stumbled downstairs into the kitchen where my mom offered me a cup of tea. Not knowing what else people do at this ungodly hour of 7 a.m., I accepted. We sat at the coffee table talked, subconsciously checked our phones, complained about subconsciously checking our phones, and talked some more. A few minutes into our conversation, my mom got a notification. She looked at her phone and frowned, the frowniest frown I have ever seen anyone frown. I asked her what's up, and she showed me a screen with two WhatsApp messages on it. The first one was a photo of what looked like a COVID-19 testing kit, and the second was text that read, Quote, great news. Coronavirus vaccine ready. Corona is misspelled, by the way. Able to cure a patient within three hours after injection. Hats off to U.S. scientists. Right now, Trump announced the Roche Medical Company will launch the vaccine next Sunday and millions of doses are ready from it. End quote. Unfortunately, we're going to have to keep our hats on because it isn't true. The Sunday that this vaccine was going to launch happened two weeks ago. Now I'm not belittling the people who believe this message, in fact I really wanted it to be true. But I value knowing the truth more than believing the lie. Also a quick nitpick, a cure and a vaccine are two different things. A vaccine is something you take before you have been exposed to a disease. It sensitizes your immune system to recognize and sometimes produce antibodies against the disease a cure is something you take or do after you've been infected by a disease sometimes the material you take kills the disease and sometimes it kicks your immune system into killing the disease don't take my word for it though i've linked my source in the podcast description speaking of sources i knew i wasn't the best one to talk about misinformation regarding the coronavirus So I decided to reach out to someone that not only has made a career out of knowing the facts, but also knowing what to do with them. In this episode of Audiography's One Shots, I talked to Jacob Shapiro, founder of Perch Perspectives, a political consulting firm that applies geopolitical expertise to business strategy. We talked about trust in the media, local government responses to the virus, how to avoid being manipulated by misinformation, the patriots, and of course,
1: Nigerian princes. Here's our conversation. There's misinformation and there's disinformation. So m- misinformation is just, it can be wishful thinking. It could be somebody thought something was true and it turned out to be wrong. I mean, it doesn't have to be nefarious in any way. That That's kind of its own thing. And it, it can kind of, you know, the, the uh, media chamber and the echo bubble can just keep going. Uh, and it can go viral just like any tweet can. Disinformation is another thing. Sometimes there are powerful actors, whether they are in different governments or uh, different political groups or terrorist groups or even businesses that will plant disinformation in order to create some kind of advantage for them. Uh, but look, like anytime you approach any piece of information, and with COVID-19, this is true of, of all of the information that you're seeing, you basically, every time you see something new, you have to stop and, and look at the source, look at where the information is coming from, and try to assess whether it's real. And that's just because there is so little, even the the biggest, the the most knowledgeable experts in the world they don't know anything about this. this we, we only have awareness of this virus going back two or three months. Um, they're literally learning new things about the virus, about how to test for the virus, about how to orient society to best combat the virus. I mean, we're literally learning about that stuff every single day. Um, human beings like to have a narrative in their head or they like to think that they know something already. And you just don't. Every time you hear a fact about COVID-19, you basically have to stop and reassess whether it's true. Um, to me, it all goes back to, um, well, this is separate, this is specific to the United States, but there was a a scholar named Tony Jutt, who unfortunately passed away a couple of years ago um, from ALS, uh, but he had this great quote over 10 years ago now. He gave a lecture at NYU, and he said the problem in American society, at least, was not the will to power among greedy or corrupt politicians, but the will to ignorance in general society. Um, and I, I repeat that quote a lot, and I think it really does say a lot about our political environment, not just in the United States in general. Um, there is this need for instant gratification. There is this need to think that you know everything just because you read one article or because you got some message from someone that you thought that you trusted when really it's a Nigerian prince telling you that he has a cure for uh, for, for COVID-19. So it's just a mindset, and it's a mindset that humans have a difficult time inhabiting. Um, And which the way information is passed these days, I guess, exacerbates that, that flaw in the human condition. But we also have critical thinking. Since the virus is relatively
0: new and we are just now starting to properly measure how it spreads and who it can affect, how much should we be listening to major media outlets whose messages a lot of times
1: can have an underlying sensationalist tone? That's difficult, especially because media, especially in the United States, but certainly not only in the United States, has become so politicized that it is not about, uh, I mean, I, I don't want to say it's not about finding the truth. That, that's a little bit too harsh, but the truths that, that ring home in different demographics or in different political circles are just different. Um, the, the interesting thing is, you know, you can present someone with a fact. And you can go ahead and predict how Fox News is going to spin it, how CNN is going to spin it, how MSNBC is going to spin it. It's all very predictable. You know exactly what they're going to do with the information. I think the bigger issue here is, is, is the broader concept of trust um, and who you can trust and, and where that trust comes from. And I think one of the things that has happened is that there has been a breakdown in trust between normal people and between their governments. Now, I, I don't want to paint with too broad a brushstroke there. I mean, it, that, that depends you know, very much on particular countries. But just when you look at kind of the missteps of the past couple decades, or when you look at feelings of um, political disillusionment or people who feel that economically they haven't been doing well, th- there's just no one to go to to trust. Um, and when there's nobody to go to to trust at the top level, who's the media i mean the media can try to do its best but it's going to go to the top level people and try and report that and then everybody else is going to try and start googling things and diagnosing themselves and getting texts from people who have information about cures so it's a much bigger problem than the media the media is part of a broader system and part of a broader trust breakdown and man i mean where you start fixing that i mean you know we can start fixing it in our day-to-day lives and just every single person deciding that they're going to turn off the the media that doesn't report things accurately or is going to search out information and try and back it up and it also comes from the top down and unfortunately and this is not just a, against president trump i mean i would i would throw quite a lot of criticism at plenty of the democrats senator chuck schumer uh nancy pelosi you want to go on down the list um, the political leaders in the united states have not been modeling uh, trust that have not been modeling, um, working together and compromise and, and it is hard to know who to go to uh, for information.
0: You talk about this breakdown of trust from the top down, and that reminds me of a story I read recently about the New England Patriots lending out one of their jets to the city of Boston so that it could fly to China. And bring back face masks, body suits, and other medical supplies to help relieve the shortage occurring in hospitals around the city. I wanted to know what you make of cities and more local governments taking matters into their own hands when it comes to responding to COVID nineteen.
1: That's a great question. Um, You're you're right about the New England Patriots. They sent their. uh, It's a. It was a great story in the Wall Street Journal. Had the had the story, and I recommend people read it because it's just. The mechanics of how they had to get the visas, and they were waiting in Alaska for approval, and they weren't allowed to come out. of the, It's a, it's, it's almost like a little movie in and of itself. Uh, but look, th- there's a lot of disagreement, even at kind of top scientific and political levels, about what to do or how to respond to a pandemic like COVID-19. I was doing some research the other day for something else, for instance, uh, and I was looking specifically at when you could, when you should close schools or when you should reopen schools, right? Um, and I, I was getting wildly different like reports from from sources of re- like you know one CDC report said well it doesn't actually help if you if you close the schools too early you kind of want things to be further along also there's no data to help you with opening up then there's that Imperial College London survey that has so affected British and US and other people's policy and they're very clear no shut the schools down immediately like it's a vector for transmission all these other things i bring it up cuz the funny thing about it is in those two sources and a couple others the only thing that they could agree on was that the most effective policy in dealing with a pandemic is local and that or the most, um, the most effective authority, excuse me, in crafting a policy that is effective is a local authority. And that's simply because when you have an epidemic or when you have a pandemic viruses don't hit everyone and every community at the same time. And the people with the best access to the data, the ground truth about what's going on in their own community, who know the people in their own community, know their fears and know their loves and know their behaviors. Uh, those are the people who are probably best equipped to try and figure out policy. And you have to you have, to have coordination, obviously. You have to make sure that um, everybody is coordinating, but you also need to give people authority. I think that's one of the reasons why a country like Singapore uh, has done such a good job managing COVID-19. Now, they've actually had a spike recently, and they're having to close down schools. They announced that this morning. But generally speaking, Singapore had a plan. It, it had some past experience with SARS and all those other things. It's a tiny city-state. It's got 5 million people. Um, they can they can coerce control, and the political system has a great deal of control. And basically, everything in Singapore was local, whereas the countries that have done the worst with COVID-19 are the United States, they are Spain, they are Italy, all countries whose political structures are highly diffuse, uh, where they're where there's a lot of disagreement about where authority ends between a federal structure and a state structure and where do those things um like who who gets to decide what and i think that's one of the reasons that you're seeing this because who is actually going to be in control um is up for grabs right now and honestly I, i don't think it matters that much i think i would i would err on the side of local authorities having that power But you just need to know what the lines are and then follow it. And unfortunately, in those countries where those lines are unclear, that's actually a source of great political liberty and great political creativity and all these other great things. But in the context of a global pandemic that you're trying to manage, actually very difficult. So I'm really glad you
0: brought up Singapore, uh, because it makes me think about how different countries are being compared when it comes to their response to the coronavirus. And uh, one of the most popular right now, at least, is the Comparison being done between South Korea and the United States with both countries having their first official cases on the same day. How valid do you think that comparison is at this point, and how many different ways are there really
1: for a country to respond? Before I get to the South Korea comparison, I'll just say that um, you know, different countries have responded in different ways and at different times, but there's generally only two ways you can really respond. You can either try to mitigate a, an epidemic or a pandemic at this point, or you can suppress it. Um, now, mitigation means that you are able to track everybody, you know you know, sort of who your patient zero is, you know all the communities that they've interacted with, you definitely put in measures to try and make sure that it doesn't spread, but you feel like you can keep things open with certain precautions and mitigate the, the effects of the virus. Uh, suppression is shut everything down, we can't track this, there's no way we can mitigate it, what we need to do is shut everything down and give ourselves some time here. Um, So in that sense, Singapore is actually not that different than other countries, they were just able to, they were in the mitigation part of their strategy for much longer than others were. They've officially shut down schools, they're shutting down businesses, they had a sort of second wave of attacks, excuse me, a second wave of infections that they said they weren't able to kind of figure out where the source was and so they're moving into a suppression stage and once they get things under control, they'll go back to mitigation. So just to say, there are definitely differences, but if you think sort of at the broadest possible level, there are actually very few ways that you can respond to this. It's one of those two ways. Um, the difference between the United States and South Korea is very simple. Um, South Korea went straight to suppression. They weren't fooling around with mitigation, and they're still in suppression mode. They've been going at it for a while. But the key difference, and the United States in some places isn't even there yet, and and that's one of the reasons that the situation has gotten out of control in the United States. But. The key difference, and I think the criticism that is most legitimate and needs to be raised up, is that South Korea started testing as soon as they knew something was up. They fast tracked getting testing done. They knew that they needed sources of ground truth. They knew that they needed better information. So what did they do? They fast tracked the ability to get a test, and then they started testing widely. I think, um, in terms of tests um, per thousand people, they're second in the world right now, only to the UAE. I don't know what the numbers are for China because they hide that stuff nationwide, but. South Korea is basically the gold standard and has been the gold standard of testing uh, since February. And the United States still doesn't even really have effective testing and, and rapid testing and is is going about this very piecemeal. And that's so important because the South Korean government had the data it needed to make the decisions Um, to to make a better decision, whereas the United States was flying blind for a long time and didn't quite understand the extent of the the problem. And still right now, I would say testing is still so low in the United States and the disease is so widespread that the United States is not even in the position South Korea is now, which is they have some reliable sense of data if they can craft policy. Right now, the U.S. has just shut everything down because it's out of our control and we don't have the data we need. We don't have the tests we need. Like We need to get ahead of the curve there. So I think that in that criticism, um, the United States deserves the criticism and that needs to be looked at in the future because there will be more pandemics, there will be more epidemics. This can't happen again. If there's a silver lining to this, it's that um, we, we made this mistake with a virus that as horrible and tragic and deadly as it's going to be is relatively innocuous. I mean, there could be something far worse coming for us. And the next time this happens, uh, we can't wait two months to get tests because that's the most important thing. The decision makers, the policy makers, whether that's federal, state, local, whoever politically you you think should be making those decisions, they can't do anything if they don't have information. South Korea knew that, the United States didn't. That's why we that, that's why we are where we are today.
0: So certain conversations that I've had with family living back in India have really led me to believe that older populations are a little bit more susceptible to believing and spreading misinformation because they aren't used to consuming information online. They don't really know about the preference-based algorithms that run behind the websites that they're on, or they don't know how easy it is to manipulate a photo, video, or soundbite. What do you think about this?
1: I think I will disagree with you and say, I don't think this is, um, I don't think this is an age problem. I think that everybody does this. Um, Everybody wants to believe something wants to believe that everything's going to be fine or somebody has their back. It's, it's this ironic thing about humans where we have this incredible capacity for critical thinking, and yet our programming also wants us to latch on to some way to make meaning of everything that's going on around us. Uh, and we will make meaning whether there is truth to the meaning or not. And the fact that other people, you know, if if we see one monkey do one thing, we'll copy them. Imitation is the highest form of flattery. That guy said it. If it's good enough for him, probably good enough for me, and we go forward from there. Uh, So I I think it's unfair to say that that's true um, of older people. I think it's true at every single demographic. Um, And in some ways, I think older people, uh, older people remember the world before Google. Hopefully, they've read books. They they have a, a conception of media and information that is completely different to to younger people's in some sense you know young people think well you should just be able to google that and and you'll be able to find out whether that's true or not if you're older you know that and and you've actually spent the time trying to chase down information you know how hard it is even today to get information really true information whether that's information that can help you with your business or information that helps you with a political reality uh, it's very difficult it's not something you can kind of just flip a switch on so Um, I I think in general, it's not about old, young, Democrat, Republican, Hindu nationalist, Hindu secularist. Um, It it really is about admitting, in a case like this, admitting that none of us know anything. And we need to start at the basics. Uh, We need to start with kind of what we don't know, putting on the tables what we don't know, and then pooling our collective efforts to try and build some kind of understanding, some kind of knowledge that is more than we had before. And it's it's not a human thing. The, the reason we have religion, the reason we have political ideology, um, all those things are about trying to make sense of information um, and not just make sense from a perspective of truth, because most human beings don't operate on, what, uh, on a basis of whether something's true or not. They operate on a basis of whether it feels good, uh, whether it, it calms them from their fears or whether it gets them to something that they want. Uh, so for for me it's about getting away from that kind of language of fears and wants and more into the language of um abstract analytical hey like th- th- this is what we know, this is what we don't know what do you know what do I know i'm not going to feel embarrassed if you know something more than me i'm not, you know th- that kind of level of conversation, and we need that across the board in some ways if you talk to an old person and say yeah you're sitting there you don't know anything you're on you're on whatsapp you're on Fox News." Uh, they probably think the same thing about you. You're on your phone all day. You're texting. Like, what is this? Like, what is this Wi-Fi? Like, like you can use a hotspot. What is that? I mean, like, it's, it's this reinforcing mistrust. And it's not, you know, it, it bleeds into our politics. It bleeds into our demographic differences. Um, it, it's there throughout. So I'll push back there. So let's say we start back at square
0: one and admit that we are way too close to the beginning of this whole thing to have truly reliable data. What would your advice be to somebody who wants to avoid consuming or being
1: manipulated by myths or disinformation? Always go to the source. Um, So if if you read a newspaper article that says, oh, there was this great study that was done and it showed X, Y, and Z, uh, and you really want to know what's going on, don't close out the article or put down the newspaper. Go find the study. Go find the report. Read it for yourself. It's gonna be difficult. A lot of times it's gonna be written in weird scientific language. Maybe you'll have to avail yourself of Google Translate or maybe you'll have to call, if it's in a different language, you'll have to call somebody you know who speaks that language and who can get it to you. Uh, but I can't tell you how important it is that the number one thing there is to go to the source. And and it's, it's amazing how insidious this is. You know, so I'm, it doesn't have to be a scientific journal article. Um, let's say that this didn't happen, but stuff like this happens all the time. Let's say the head of the IMF uh, came out today and said, um, well, there's going to be a global decline, 15% GDP, here's the IMF report. That single statement in that report will create, I don't know, hundreds, thousands of news articles throughout the world. And the number of people who actually go read the IMF report and actually understand, oh, uh, there's five different models here. There's a worst case and a best case and a bunch of middle cases. And all the articles I read were going on in the worst case, but there's a lot of stuff here and. It depends how governments react and how this, that, and the other thing happens. Uh, you, you get all the nuance and you also get that it's not a prediction. It's, it's, it's a model, right? I can't tell you how many times that happens just on something like that. Um, so uh, the, the number one rule of gathering information for me, read the source, try and figure out what the source's motives are, uh, and then actually read the thing yourself and use your brain. It might be something that you have no experience in If if we're all dealing with COVID-19, right? Most of us have not been reading scientific journals about medicine for all of our lives. It's very, very hard to get into that. There are gonna be all sorts of words that you don't understand, all sorts of concepts that make zero sense. But if you want knowledge, go read the paper and start Googling things and take out your dictionary and teach yourself and then hopefully, um, by the end of the article, you can say, "Okay, I kind of get what this thing is saying. I get what caveats they've made. I get what additions they're they're making this, that, and the other thing." It's very hard. It's very time consuming. It's why people pay good money for newspapers or for people to summarize, um, you know, different reports all over the world. But there's really no substitute for using your brain and tackling something and I guess on one level, it also comes from um, this innate insecurity that most people have when it comes to intellectual or scientific things. They think, "Oh, I'm not an expert. I have no chance of understanding it." I assure you, you do. There's there's there are very few things out there that, if a human being sits down and tries to figure them out, that you can't figure out. Um, so yeah, that that's where I would start. And also, when when you I I should add, go to the source, and then when you talk about the information that you've learned cite the source say where you got it from say what you think the purpose of it was and evaluate it in terms of its accuracy don't just kind of throw out oh well i read this journal and it said blah 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 you know say okay well there's this journal it 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 bounded things in this way it was a study it couldn't but here's this one little factoid does it help us understand human beings are smart the human brain is incredible like just I, I was looking this morning, uh, Germany is importing some drug from Japan. Uh, that's a, It's a drug that was designed to combat the avian flu, but they're going to try it out in some patients in Germany, see if it helps at all. There's some very kind of sketchy reports in China that maybe it, maybe it worked a little bit. Who knows? But I, I started Googling the drug and it's w- what human beings have been able to do in nature, in society. I mean, we, we can create a little pill that That prevents a virus a specific virus from from replicating and we can ingest that and then whatever particular virus that is hopefully this will work with COVID. i doubt it but you know hopefully it'll work but like humans have the capacity to do that and all humans have the capacity to do that so get off your butts and read a little bit don't 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 throw up your hands and trust the whatsapp or the news report or the newspaper or twitter like roll up your sleeves use that brain it's incredibly powerful and 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 get some ground truth if you liked or didn't
0: like what jacob had to say follow him on his socials linked in the podcast description to let him know he loves to argue and i speak from personal experience when i say he's really fun to disagree with subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any new episodes also what's the weirdest coronavirus rumor you've heard so far feel free to hit me up on my Twitter, also linked in the description, to let me know. This episode is a product of Audiographies, hosted by me, Dinor Sapolia, and edited beautifully by Jacob Smolian. With that being my time, I want to thank each and every one of you for listening. In the words of Jacob Shapiro, always remember to go to and cite the source. Stay safe, stay healthy, and one day, hopefully really soon, I'll see you out there.